Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Hello, Portland Trailblazers fans, and welcome to the Blazers Edge podcast. And there are probably a few more of you Portland Trailblazers fans than there might have been at this time last week because of Portland's, well, dare we call it, epic win over the Denver Nuggets. The world seems to be a buzz about this, or at least they were until San Antonio and Golden State played. For one night, the Blazers were on the marquee simply because... Portland versus Denver went a long way toward deciding the race for the eighth seed in the Western Conference. Now, that's a, a modest goal, but given the way the Trailblazers' season has gone, it's uh, probably a worthy one. And uh, in context, they did phenomenally. Uh, they won convincingly. Their center shone brightly over his former teammates. And a good time was had by all. I'm joined by Dan Morang, as always, co-host. Dan, what did you think about the Denver game on Tuesday? You know, it was kind of crazy. As we sat down and kind of getting ready to take that game in, it was evident. This is obviously before I knew that, that Nurkic had reached out to Damian Lillard the night before and said, you know, hey, I need you you know, to, to do something. And Dame said that he felt that Nurkic was going to have a massive night. And he had actually said this you know, prior to the game to a few other people. And, I mean, that just ended up being almost prophetic in the night that, that Nurkic had. And, you know, this season has been, up, up until the last couple of weeks, was just, it was physically painful to be completely honest. It was something I just didn't enjoy. Um, but the last couple of weeks have been fun. Even even if I've wanted the organization to go a different way, I've been taking this in and, and, and really enjoying it. And seeing the night that Nurkic had, which is crazy because it, it overshadowed the night that, that C.J. McCollum had, the, the Blazers have had a couple of these nights this season that have been some of the most efficient ridiculous scoring nights, not just in, in Blazers history, but, I mean, in recent NBA history. You've got CJ who went for, what, 39 on, on 13 shots, Dame who's gone for 49 on 21 or 22 shots, and now Nurkic goes for 33 on, on 15 shots. I mean, th those are just staggering, staggering performances, and they've all been in the last couple weeks and, and punctuated big-time wins for the Blazers. And it's really weird to, after, you know, 60 games of just crappy basketball, to all of a sudden be in a position where we've seen individual and team performances, particularly on the offensive end, that have just been so dynamic and so efficient that it's, you know, pinging in the national radar. I mean, ESPN, you had Rachel Nichols, who came out and lauded uh, Nurkic's performance and how it reflected on his time in Denver and then the little bit of shade he threw at the end with, uh, you know, I hope they enjoy the summer. I mean, all these things that you thought were absolutely impossible as far as within reach for the Blazers' scope as for how the season had gone. And now all of a sudden, it's one of those things where you, you kind of have to get one of those pinch-me episodes where it, it was just a, a crazy, crazy night. I mean, I can't remember in, in recent memory where the, a regular season game was as punctuated and loud as it was in the arena that, uh, against Denver. Yeah, absolutely impossible 
given the Blazers' performance before. I don't think we'd claim, claim it's absolutely impossible to gain the eighth seed in the Western Conference. <laughs> it was one of those somebody's going to do it uh, situations where about five teams were going to. But the Blazers at least are not stumbling into it, right? I mean, they're taking it. They want it. They're, they look like they have a good chance of picking it up. And you're right. Their offense is just phenomenal. I mean, it I mean, Denver was in the driver's was. seat here. That's the thing is people got to remember yeah. is this this was Denver's to lose. Portland had to take sure. this. Yeah, I mean, but that offense, that was their calling card all season. The problem is the defense was so bad that there's no way the offense could keep pace. Now it looks like now granted okay the score was 122 to 113 <laughs> one of those numbers is really super impressive one of those numbers is still pretty bad uh but it looks like they've shored up enough things rebounding enough things defensively to squeak by against teams who are either at their level or vulnerable you know are they if the eighth seed, the first seed, it is not. And are the Blazers a completely different team? Well, that's up to debate, I think. Uh, I saw a little something different, I thought, in the third quarter, that, at least something we haven't seen too much of. That was their good defensive quarter against Denver. That's when they took over the game. And we haven't seen them take over many games. We've seen them win games, uh, kind of uh, get to the end and happen to have more points than the opponent. Uh, but we've seldom seen them just wrench a game away from the opponent uh, for more than a series of one or two plays. And they did it for an entire quarter there in Denver. Yeah, and this is something that we've talked about really all year and in, into in last year. This is a team that offensively is so good that against the vast majority of teams in the NBA, if they get even remotely locked in for three quarters of a game defensively, they're going to win the game. I mean, on most nights, that's just the way it is. They have that much offensive firepower. So I think that's probably been my my biggest, you know, chin-scratching, face-palming moment of the season is that every game you see that the defensive falters, that the defense falters so bad that then offense this dynamic can't take over, it's really frustrating. But when you see the performances like you had against Denver, you're sitting there going, God, how much easier would this have been if, had they been doing this all along? But, I mean, at the same time, the fact that they're doing it now, it's nice and it, it's, it's appreciated, but it still, at least for me, it makes you kind of go back like, man, 40 games worth of this and where would they be? Yeah, perhaps, but there, there's another reason for that. I mean, take a look at this. Uh, listen to these points allowed uh, since, let's say, the middle of March. 101 points allowed to the Lakers, 114 to the Clippers, 105 to the Rockets, 124 to the Rockets, 113 to Cleveland, 117 to Indiana, 90 to New Orleans, that's good, and 113 to Portland. That's, of course, not Portland's points allowed. That's Denver's. So Denver all of a sudden put on Portland's hat of uh, outscoring everybody. Now they've won a lot. They won half of those games, but they all of a sudden became incredibly permissive on defense. Whereas the Blazers, at least in the last few games, and a part of this is opponent related, but in the same span, um, they lost to New Orleans. Uh, they gave up a hundred. Uh, they gave up 106 to San Antonio, but only 97 to Atlanta. 104 to Miami, 93 to Milwaukee, 
the Knicks 95. Back to Minnesota back under 100. 100. That, yeah, that, exactly. That, I bet, off the, the top Los of my Angeles. head, I bet you that's the only time this season they, that they've done that. Yeah, I mean, so anyway, the long story short, 113 was the most they'd allowed in a long time. And uh, really, the Blazers seem to have either hit a stretch of opponents that just wasn't going to score 115 or found a way. Now, now, I'm not sure their defense is that much better Let's than it was when above. they were giving up 113 you know, a game. But, yeah, they've they've at least found a way not to be a disaster every night. And that's kind of what they needed. Yeah, I mean... It's not a stretch of the imagination just to assume this team to be would be a better team if they played remotely decent defense night in and night out. Like we're, we're, well, you're yeah, not so. asking this team to hold opponents under 95 points. This isn't you know the Utah Jazz heck even now, but of 10 years ago where they're going to grind the pace you know to a screeching halt and they're going to make it difficult to score more than 90 points a night. This is a team Memphis. that they they play. Yeah, Memphis. I mean, the, the, Portland's a team that plays with a top 10 pace. They're, they're not the Houston Rockets where they're getting 105, 106 possessions a game, but they're still pushing the ball. I believe they're – what's kind of ironic is, is that the pace is almost exactly the same with Nurkic as it is with Plumlee. When you're feeding the ball in the post, you assume the game's slowing down. But Portland's still ma- managing to keep the pace up even though they're, they're feeding the big man down low. Because I think the style of play is, is that when they do f- find that shot now, because they have that threat that he's become, there's less, I don't want to say needless passing, but it's more effective passing. The passing that's being done is leading to shots now. Whereas with Mason right. Plumley, it was it was more of the, of the hockey assist, where instead of a straight line pass from Dame from the top to the corner or to the wing it went in and out to serve the purpose of getting that other guy the ball, whereas now you're getting the ball inside to get the ball inside. I mean, that's where you wanted to go. You saw what what Nurkic did in the beginning of that game. It was kind of funny. Within the first two minutes, I was like, man, he looks like he's getting ready to go for a 40-burger. It was was just one of those things where he was going to take over, and you could see it on his face. And nobody on that Denver team wanted a piece of him. Yeah, well, to your point, look, the the Blazers score 108 a night. It's not exactly rocket science. You need to hold the opponent to, like, you know, 107, 106, as opposed to the 109 that they've been giving up uh, as as an average. But also, to put it in perspective, the Blazers are not unique in this. I mean, certainly that's a top 10 offense. But the 10 spot is Oklahoma City at 107, there, and then Boston is right close. The Clippers are right close. Uh, Washington, Cleveland. Uh, Cleveland is clearly better. Denver, Houston, Golden State. So, look, the, the Blazers are good at this. They're not unique in their offense, for sure. And they need more than that. Now, we've talked about defense, but rebounding has also been pretty huge, I think. And also a little bit of a shot-blocking element that they've gotten. Not that that's going to show up statistically in a huge sense but they at least have people thinking twice when they go in the lane now and they've been really good at getting the misses yeah no Nurkic is I mean the one thing I think that people were were a little bit leery about was how Nurkic's numbers added up because when, when you did your piece on on the 
the trade deal itself, there was some notes about how Nurkic's rebounding was on par in some areas, and it seemed to fall off from Mason Plumlee's and others. But he's been an absolute hoover for the Blazers. I mean, he's had double-doubles on, on almost a nightly basis. And the other thing is, is that not only has he been effective, but because he requires at least one big body, if not two more often than not, somebody like Noah Vonley, who has been upping his his averages on the backboards like crazy too. So Portland's been, I mean, if you look at the stats, they, they increased their defensive rebounding percentage by over 3.5% between the pre- and post-Nurkic eras, or pre-Nurkic and now Nurkic era. Um and that's a pretty staggering number. Right. That doesn't sound like a lot, I, but that's huge. Aminu, McCollum. I mean, it's like getting five rebounds for a non-rebounder is just, that just happens for Portland now. Yeah. And you're right. I think it's it's because Nurk is an intimidating mental force in the middle as well as a physical force that all you want is the opponent to have their eye on somebody. And... Prior to the Nurkic revolution, the, the opponent didn't really have to have their eye on much of anybody except for Lillard and McCollum. And even then, I mean, on defense or rebounding, it was kind of a, I mean, who cares? So literally you could ignore three-fifths of the lineup, not because those players were bad, just because the, the synergy wasn't there. The anchor wasn't there. They now they have an anchor. They are striking the fear of God into you. That, that's just not what those guys right. were meant to do. They may not be still, but... Now what they do do is more effective uh, because of what Nurk is doing in the middle. Now let's look forward. We have eight games remaining in the season, eight in which to secure the playoff uh, seed. The Blazers have the Rockets tonight as we speak. They have Phoenix at home on Saturday. That's the short uh, list. Then we have Minnesota, Utah, Minnesota, Utah, San Antonio, and New Orleans. What do you need to see tonight or in the near future in order to make you comfortable? I know this sounds terrible, but I'm already writing, unless Harden's banged up more than, than he is, I'm writing tonight off as a loss. Things have just been going so well. I, as a Blazers fan, I've, I've kind of trained myself. When things are going really well, expect something to go sideways. So this is the game I'm expecting to go sideways. But you've got Minnesota twice, Utah twice, which is kind of two different ends of you know of the pendulum here in that Minnesota looked defeated the last time Portland played them. And I think that they're like much like Denver for anybody who didn't see the postgame comments, the postgame interviews in the locker room for Denver. That was a team that after that loss looked like they were just they were done. They were done with the season. There's a lot of questioning of play calls and calling each other out and calling out the coaching. Um, usually when that kind of stuff starts happening, the, the, the team is basically shut down. And I think the same thing. How be- Portland looked earlier in yes. the year, though. I mean, it's, it was like they put on each other's hats. Yeah, and, and I think that kind of speaks to where Denver's mindset is right now after that kind of loss. And I think uh, Minnesota's in that exact same position. Uh, Rudy Gobert had some comments uh, last week about how he, he believes there's guys in that team that are more interested in scoring than playing defense, so things aren't going spectacular for them either. Um, but, I mean, Utah's always been a place that Portland struggles to play in, and then one of the two road games is there. Um, so there's there's some some stuff going on. I remember Utah's in a big time uh, matchup with the Clippers for the four the five seed. I mean that's the difference between home court advantage for those guys. So there's a 
pretty decent chance that those guys are going to be fighting tooth and nail, even if they are having issues. Um, the Spurs, that could be a game where seating's already decided, and, I mean, if Pop's history, Pop is the guy he'll rest his guys there. Second to the last game yeah. of the if, season, that, that if, could be a game Portland wants holds, into. If history holds, he'll rest eight players and the Spurs will still win. <laughs> <laughs> That's about what happened. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's kind of it's kind of weird for for me to even say. But then again, you know, this is a Portland team that looked ten times better than that San Antonio team a, a, a week ago, um, right. which is just crazy. And by the to way, believe. we should not sleep on that because it, it talk about scheduling. It was that stretch where the Blazers went to San Antonio, Atlanta, and Miami. Yeah, they and went came four and one on that three stretch. Wins. Well, they came away with three wins in a row right there. And without those wins, they, they are now where they are, are right now. 33 and 41. Yeah. They, they, that, I mean, the Denver game will be pointed to as the tipping point, the crux, the easy one to put out, point at. But uh, San Antonio, Atlanta, Miami, trio of victories put the Blazers in position to make the Denver win count. And talk about improbable at that point. I mean, Spurs, Hawks, and Heat on the road, all of whom were playing fairly well. Uh, Blazers the probably should have lost Spurs and Heat, the two hottest teams in the league as far as post-All-Star break records. I mean, it's the exactly. Warriors, Spurs, Warriors, Spurs, Bucks, Heat. And then I think Portland right. sits in at fifth as far as best and records in, in the All-Star break. Keep in mind that if two of those are losses, the Blazers are now behind the Nuggets by a game. Now, they could still catch up. They own all the tiebreakers, et cetera, et cetera. But the complexion is much different. Right now, the Blazers kind of have the, the Nuggets in a submission hold, and if they don't let up, they're going to win it. They would still have to land some punches uh, if those wins hadn't come. In any case, what wins do you see? I mean, okay, you said you kind of think Houston's going to be a loss. We'll see about that. But... Um, Phoenix at home Phoenix should be a, a win, win, right? Yeah, Phoenix is a one win. I think they'll drop one of those games to Minnesota, one of those games to Utah. So we're um, 500 so far headed into the end of the season. I think San the Spurs Antonio will rest, and then the Pelicans are going to not care. So okay. the, I, I think that they're going to pull up those last two games, and that'll be enough to get them in, you know, in that last position. So something like five and three. Uh, the Nuggets, if the Blazers go five and three, they've – Almost certainly won this because yeah. the Nuggets' uh, schedule is brutal. You have Charlotte on the road, Miami on the road, New Orleans and Houston on the road. New Orleans again at home, Oklahoma City at home, Dallas and Oklahoma City on the road. Uh, it, it's even if those teams all mailed it in, I'm not sure there's more than four wins there, period. So, yeah, if Portland and, and wins the Nuggets, five, it's done. That, that's kind well, of how have to I'm be, looking at the, it. Well, it, it's got to be more than that because the Nuggets have, uh, I, I mean, they can do less than that's what I'm trying to say because the Nuggets have to beat the Blazers by two, basically. They have to get ahead of them. Yeah, exactly. So whatever, however many wins you give Portland, you have to give that plus two to Denver in order for Denver to overtake the Blazers. If Blazers win five, there's no way Denver wins seven of the last eight with that schedule. They might win four. Uh, they could, I mean... Five and three, that's certainly possible if they turn it around. And I think we need to say, at any given point, the Blazers are capable of going three and five. So, you know, four wins, play hey, 500 it, it, ball. That's the torch I'm usually carrying, this. all right? I'm trying to be optimistic about this. 
Right. But I mean, it's true. I mean, I, I think everybody loves what's happening with the Blazers. I'm not sure anybody trusts what's happening with the Blazers. I and mean, for good reason in context of the season. Oh, there's but more look. squinty eyes in the past two weeks across the room to somebody else that I've been watching the game with. Like, yeah, you, do you really believe this is happening? Because there's, there's yeah. been way too many of those, those, those things kind of popping up where you kind of roll your eyes and laugh like, okay, sure. Why not? Well, let's let's do this. Let's go four and four. Probably wins the seed, and the Blazers can do that. That said, do you believe this is happening? Sure, because it's the eighth seed. Yeah, I mean, exactly. it's the eighth seed. All right, that's it. Can't quite lose sight of that. And by the way, uh, picture gets a little bit bleaker once you get into the playoffs. ESPN did story on that. Ninety-nine percent, less than one percent chance of the Blazers winning that series yeah. by whatever metrics they're using. I think most people would agree with that. Um, that Golden State versus Portland is going to be a bad matchup for Portland. But hey, this excitement. I mean, we've talked about it. We talked about theoretically how the lottery would be better, but. I, it's it's impossible to be on the lottery train now, right? It's impossible to wish for them to lose this at this point because a it would be kind of a collapse at the end of the season. B it would put a, you know really bitter note on it, a discouraging note on it. Um, C I mean, just, even if they went zero and eight, they're really not doing themselves really any favors because they're going to end up with like the you know tenth pick. Yeah, or. Yeah, exactly. And that's just that's that's everything. like that's like best case scenario. Literally, so. you're talking about the difference between the 16th and 17th pick at this point, probably, yeah. or, you know, thereabouts. And you don't want to miss out on the playoffs for one or two positions in the middle of the draft. It's it's just not going to make that much of a difference. So can we say Team Tank is dead? Have we taken a, an anti-tank? I drove it off the cliff. Yeah, it's done, right? Where everybody finally, Blazer Nation is united. This is in a way they haven't be, been since week one of the season. Everybody is rooting for the playoffs now, and appropriately so. Um, and yeah, odds of them making it, what do you think? I mean, at this point in time, it's probably, I mean, 90%. I mean, yeah. it, it, it's to me, it, it's not quite foregone conclusion because this team has definitely shown that they are more than willing to put on an epic collapse uh, at any given time. But the way Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum, I mean, those three guys, McCollum, Lillard, and Nurkic, with the way they're playing right now, I mean, you got 72 points from Nurkic and McCollum alone last game, shooting a combined 70%. I mean, when those guys, I mean, I'm not expecting them to give you th those two to give you that every night, but those three together giving you 65 to 70 points a night, it's that's not a stretch. I mean, Damian Lillard it, said that he believes Nurkic at his best, you know, when he knows everything and it's fitting in here, that 20-12-2, and two is, is that's his deal. So if he's getting 20-12-2, Dame's getting 25, and CJ's getting 23, 65 points a night is not a stretch. Right. And then can you cobble together 40 from the rest of the offense? Probably so. And you're set. A again, the, the question is defensively, but hey, I mean, this year that's not going to matter. So there you go. I mean, looks like we pronounced the Blazers in the playoffs. I mean, bold prediction, but hey, 
uh, get ready for the postseason Portland. And that's going to be it for this edition of the Blazers Ed Edge podcast. We'll be around next week again. We just wanted to get a word or two in about Denver in the future. And uh, it, a playoff-bound Trailblazers team is certainly more fun to watch than a lottery-bound Trailblazers team. We hope you're enjoying it. For the next two weeks, it should be party time in Portland. We'll see what happens in the postseason. Until then, for Dan Morang, I'm Dave Deckard. We will see you next week.